Thanks for checking out our Legacy Church podcast. We know you'll be blessed and encouraged. Now here's today's message. We're in this series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And I was having a conversation with Pastor Ron uh, this past week or the week before. We were going through our fasting time. And, and I just shared with him this personal story of mine. And he said, he said that's a great story. You got to share that. So, so bear with me a second. I want to share this story with you. Because, you know, I, I graduated from this high school. I, I attended Winman Junior High School that many of us drove past on our way here today. So I'm in seventh grade. I'm at Winman Junior High School. And I took my very first foreign language class. And I, I had to choose Spanish or Italian. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I'll just take Spanish. When am I ever going to meet another Italian? And here we, here we are. Our, our head pastor is Italian, a church with Italians. I chose Spanish, right? So I think I'm smart. And this is like, this is like 1998, whatever. Computers still had that... You know, computers still had this dial-up internet. I can't do the sound, but if you've heard that sound, you know it. So technology is way behind, but here I am. I'm in the Spanish class, and I found a website that, that you could type in whatever you want in English, and you could pick a language, and bloop, it spits it out for you in that language. So here I am. I'm thinking I'm slick. I, uh, I did my final paper. We had, the final project was to write a paper completely in Spanish. I think I'm slick. I found this website. Surely my teacher doesn't even know about this yet. And, you know, you, you type in your text on this side, and then there's a drop-down in the middle, and you can select all the languages, uh, you know, Espanol, French. Like, they're in alphabetical order. You can do all this stuff. So, boom, 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 I type it up. Man, that's good. Espanol, compute, and it spit it out. I print that bad boy out. I walk in the next day like I'm the man. I turned it in. I'm like, man, that's a big re relief. I can't wait to see if I got an A on that. Well, a few days later, we're in class. The teacher comes in, and, and she passes out everybody's exam except mine. And I'm like, well, she's probably saving the best for last, right? But she says, she says, you know, I'd like to read from my favorite paper from all of the students. And I'm like, she thought mine was the best. And she starts speaking in French. She was reading this paper in French. Well, you know, Espanol and French are right next to each other on the drop-down. So me, the dummy, I didn't even proofread it. I printed my paper in French and turned it into my Spanish teacher. So uh, this kind of feels like confessional now. Uh, but here I am. I had this story. I thought I was slick. But you can't cheat. There's no shortcuts. You can't get past that. You know, so I told him I'd share it. I shared it. Now let's pray because I think God has something that he wants to say today. Let's pray today. Lord Jesus, we come here today to celebrate you, to worship you, to, to gather together as believers. And I know that your presence is here. We've already felt it. We felt your fire. And God, I pray that that we are going to leave here transformed. We are going to be edified. We are going to be encouraged. We are going to be changed. I pray that you would speak to our minds and speak to our hearts today. I pray that I would just be the vessel that you use to relay your word to your people today. What an honor and a privilege it is. We thank you for your presence. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're coming off a fast, and uh, I want to talk about food. <laughs> we're going to talk about food, okay? So the title of this message is The World's Most Expensive Bowl of Soup. The world's most expensive bowl. You know, you go by these places, and I think of New York City, the world's best cup of coffee. How do you even prove that? Like, that seems very subjective to me. Like, where's the evidence that shows that that, that place has the world's best cup of coffee? Because I've seen that sign in hundreds of stores. How is this even possible? But there's an example we're going to go through today of the world's most expensive bowl of soup. So we're going to start with some scripture. We're going to open the word of God. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to start with verse 19. So bear with me for a moment. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And then she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so then he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. <laughs> I know what famished is. <laughs> he was famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom was another nickname for red, for red soup. So he got this nickname Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, during this whole process, there are a few points that I, I picked up on that I wanted to share. Number one, when Rebecca became pregnant and she knew something was wrong, um, 
she asked God, why is this happening to me? And she inquired of the Lord. Wouldn't it it be awesome if we could inquire of the Lord every time something happened to us? Like I'm learning from this. I'm like, yeah, the first thing I want to do is is go home and try and figure this out on my own. But, But Rebecca, right off the bat, said, God, why is this happening to me? Not that I'm upset about it, but maybe if God explained it to me, I could deal with it. What if we could do that first and say, God, why is this happening to me? What an epiphany. But then when he answered her, he told her, you know, the older, there are two nations within your womb and the older will serve the younger. He answered her. He didn't tell Isaac. Isaac didn't know this information, but she did. And it played into her the way she treated her children. She had a favorite child after this. And then Abraham, he had a favorite child. He had a favorite child, or Isaac. (laughs) He had a favorite child too. He had a favorite child of Esau because it was his firstborn. But Rebecca had her favorite because of this information that she received from the Lord. So she believed that Isaac was her favorite. So I learned that as you keep digging in, and there's more things into the story, but let's go on. I learned that there's a difference between the birthright and the blessing. There's a difference. In man's eyes, there's a difference. In man's eyes, there's a difference. Because the birthright is what was traditionally given to the firstborn son. And uh, that included things like a double portion of the land. Every one of the kids would get something. But with the birthright, you would get a double portion of the land. You would get all of the people that were in the family, the helpers, the um, the slaves, the concubines, whatever, the livestock, you would get the title that the father had. If the, ti- if the father had a title in the city, any judicial authority, you would inherit that as part of your birthright. You would get the duties of being the priest of the family. This was the birthright. This is what comes from man. This is what man passes to generation to generation in the world's eyes. And then the blessing comes separate. Now Esau thought he could separate the blessing from the birthright. So he says, you know, I'm going to die. What's my birthright going to do for me? Because he's caught up in himself. He's caught up in his flesh. He's caught up thinking with his stomach because he's famished. I don't care about these things, these spiritual things, these things that are going to happen after me. I care about feeding my belly and that red soup looks pretty good. But we learned that this blessing... This blessing, which is the blessing God gave to Abraham to become the father of many nations through his lineage, would have gone to Esau, but Esau missed out on this. And if you continue in Genesis 27, verses 28 and 29, this is the blessing. This is the blessing that was passed down to Isaac. This this is the blessing that Isaac passed down to Jacob. I keep getting these names mixed up today. Bear with me. I was studying all these names this whole week and the the week before. Um, So this is the blessing that was passed down to Jacob. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So this is the blessing that he got 
by cheating, right? He cheated. So natural law, in man's eyes, this would go to the firstborn son. But I'll tell you what, God is sovereign and doesn't follow man's laws. God says what's going to happen. God is in control. His will and his ways are greater than ours, than our will and our ways. We can't even begin to understand. But we have to live our lives according to his will. How hard it is sometimes to understand, even if we don't know what his will is, how hard it is to be able to say, not my will, but yours. I don't fully know what it is right now, but I know I'm not supposed to live by my own. So I will submit my will to you. And I pray that you would teach me to be in alignment with yours. So as this story unfolds, you know, we learn that Jacob's family gets this blessing. Jacob gets the birthright too. Because as man, when we think we can separate them, God's not playing that game. God's got them combined. And that's why he says Esau despised his birthright. But really, there was the blessing tied into it. And that's how Jacob ended, ended up getting them. Now, there's a bunch of different messages in here. We could talk about Rebecca and her faith. We could talk about Jacob and being the father of deceit. But I want to talk about Esau. I want to talk about Esau and a man who chose to satisfy his temporary hunger by giving up something that was spiritual and eternal. So I want you to notice Esau didn't get angry when he gave away his birthright. He did it willingly. He made a trade. He says, yeah, that seems valuable to me. It seems like an even trade. Let's do it. I don't need my birthright. He didn't get angry. But he did become angry when his father blessed Jacob. He did become angry when he got cheated out of the blessing. Why in his mind did he want the blessing but not the birthright? Why did he think one was greater than the other? Why did he think that he could separate them? So this is when he became angry. And the story continues that he wanted to kill his brother Jacob and Jacob fled. And they didn't see each other for many years when they became reconciled. But that doesn't change the decision that Esau made. Once the blessing is done, Esau even went back to his father. And he says, surely you didn't give him all the blessing. You saved some of the blessing for me. What do you have? What's left? What can I get? And his father said, I already blessed him. It's done. Once it's been spoken, it's out. You can't put it back. He got the blessing. It's his. That's what God's sovereignty does. So now Jacob, he, he was deceitful. He was trying to scam his father. He was trying to scam his brother. He was acting out on the favoritism that his mother already knew. She kind of helped him along the way and planted the seed that they were going to do this. She was deceitful, but all of these things allowed God's word to come to pass. Now, what did Esau really do wrong? What did Esau really do wrong? He lost sight of how important God's blessing was over him. It lost its value to him. He got so caught up in his flesh that he lost sight of the value of what was God was doing for his spirit. Maybe he thought that he could give up the birthright and still get the blessing. Maybe he was just so hungry he could only think with his stomach. 
But you know what he, he also did? He gave up his tomorrow for today. He gave up his tomorrow for today. And you know, we came here this morning and we had mega huddle. And, and many times when, when I have the opportunity to speak and I pray to God, God, please, I, I don't want this to be my word. And, and then I get scriptures to back it up. I want it to be your word. And, and we got some confirmation this morning because at mega huddle we were talking about don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has a, a way of taking care of itself. Worry about today. Esau gave up his tomorrow for today. So let me tell you this. Today is yours, but tomorrow is his. Tomorrow is not promised to you. He has tomorrow. Today is yours. Today might be your last chance. Today is yours to do something with it. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for tomorrow for that forgiveness. If you need to offer forgiveness to somebody, if you need to ask for forgiveness from somebody, don't put that off until tomorrow. Another scripture from James 4.14 says this, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Maybe, maybe Esau got so consumed with his flesh after a long day of hunting with no food, but still exerting the energy needed to go out and find your food. A long day of hunting and not eating. And the Bible says he was famished. He became so hyper-focused and desperate on satisfying the needs of his flesh. You know, when we were fasting, we still had to feed, feed our children. So it's still cooking dinner at night and... And I remember, I can relate to this, because one of our fasting sessions, we cooked, uh, we boiled hot dogs for the kids. And I remember that smell. I remember that smell of the hot dogs and the boiling water. I said, you know, and I tried to reason this. I said, because normally I wouldn't even think like this. I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing liquids. That's liquid. I could drink the hot dog water and I could be sad. I was so desperate. This is what I was thinking of. And you know, you normally don't think like this or act like this. <laughs> but when you get so caught up in yourself and so caught up in your flesh, you begin to act out in desperation, right? So Esau was so caught up in satisfying his flesh that he lost sight of his spiritual future, of God's plan, of God's promise, and his blessing. In Galatians 5, and 23, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Every time we pray and fast, I ask God for fruit of the Spirit. I ask him for self-control because for me, that's one of the things that I lack and I need his help with and I need his strength with self-control because even when we're eating, like I'll often eat until I'm full. Like I'm like, God, give me some self-control with my eating. But then when I'm not eating, God, give me some self-control because I don't need this. I don't need this. I learned what hangry means this past week. 
When you're so hungry that you become angry. I learned what hangry means this week. And like every time, it, God just opens your eyes. He opens my eyes to how weak my flesh is. And how much I need him. Because it's in our weakness that he's made strong. But I realize like on my own, I'm unable to accomplish some things and I get in my own attitude and I, my thoughts become so focused on me. And that's where I need his help. That's where I need the fruit of the spirit. That's where I need the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. I learned how much I really loved myself. And yeah, it hurts when you get this realization like, oh, man, I've been messing this up. But God is faithful and gives you a chance to change. He gives you today to change. But he doesn't give you tomorrow. He gives you today. I've been asking God to give me the self-control that I need. But the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come without you inviting it. Without you pressing in for it. Without you pursuing it. God's got all of these things that he wants to share with you. But he wants to see you. Come get it. Here it is. Come get it. Take a step forward. Take a step in faith and see what I've got for you. I want you to have these things. But he wants us to press in to get them. You aren't born with these things. It's something that you pursue and you acquire over time. And self-control is such a powerful weapon. When you have this fruit of the Spirit, you've now got a powerful weapon that you can use. And you can use to put your flesh back into, back into submission. Now, I want to ask you, you know, when you're in a situation like Esau's, when your flesh is saying, I'm hungry, I need to eat. I'm hungry, I need to eat. Can't you hear me out there? I'm hungry and I need to eat. What decision are you going to make? Because there's a spirit... <laughs> There's a spirit inside of you that also needs to be fed. And then there's your flesh that needs to be fed. What type of food are you going to choose to feed it? So in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The bread is good. The pizza is good. The food is good. It sustains our flesh. But it does not and it cannot bring life. There is a food that brings life. The word of God brings you life. It feeds your soul. It feeds your spirit. For some of us, we're looking at that bowl of soup. For some of us, it's that we worship ourselves. Some of us, that bowl of soup represents a job or a title, uh, fame, fortune, popularity, a relationship, sex. That bowl of soup is right there. It's tempting us all. Whatever your bowl of soup is, I want you to know that the food that you feed your spirit and the food that you feed your flesh are in contrast with each other. It's a lot like 
I know we've got some nutritional folks in here. I have a bowl of Doritos and I've got an apple. And I know one is going to be very, very tasty. And it's going to leave my fingers orange and uh, I can deal with it. But I know it's void of any nutritional value. And I know the apple, I may not like the taste, but it's got enough nutritional value to sustain me. So you have to be able to see, not just in the physical, see in the spiritual What's the value that's in that food? Is it nutritious for me? Is it going to feed my flesh or is it going to feed my spirit man? And we need to ask ourselves. So when you've got this bowl of soup in front of you, what do you do when it's in conflict with what God wants to do in your life? What do you do? Last week we talked about, you know, the lust of the body, the pride of life, the lust of your eyes. What do you do when you have one of these things in front of you as your bowl of soup? And you know that if you take it, you're going to lose your birthright and your blessing. What do you do when you're faced with these things? What do you do if God isn't answering your prayers on your time? Do you start to get tired? Do you start to give up? Do your prayers start to change? Do they become less frequent? Do they become less powerful? Do they become less passionate? When God doesn't answer our prayers in our time, that's him saying, let me see what else you got. Give me some more. Give me some more. Our prayers should become more powerful, more frequent, more passionate when God isn't answering. He's stirring us up. He's stirring us up. He's teaching us to dig deep. He's saying, come on, I know there's more in you. I want to see it. I want to see it. What have you got? Work for it. Do this with me. So I want to give you three principles that, that I dug out of this from Esau's story. Because, you know, Pastor Steve was here telling us about the spiritual nature of everything, which I loved. That was an eye-opening message. But there's a spiritual nature here. And the first principle from this story from Esau is this, number one. If something is important to him, it's important to your spirit. And if it's important to him, it should be important to you. Because God knows what we need more than we do. We know what we want, right? And there's a difference between needs and wants. I know I'm hungry. I know I want those Doritos. I know I want that hot dog water or the pizza or the red bowl of lentils. I know what I want. But God is so good, he's not going to give us what we want. He's going to give us what we need. If we can listen. If we can listen. So our flesh, which is sinful by nature, has certain things that it wants. That it wants. But our spirit is given to us by God. And it is not in a sinful nature. So they are in a, a battle with each other. Our spirit man and our flesh man are always clashing. And I put it like this, um, they don't shop at the same stores. They don't wear the same clothes. They have different preferences. One of them shops at Price Right. One of them shops at Dave's Marketplace. They even shop at different places because there's different food at each. There's different prices at each. Your flesh and your spirit don't shop at the same stores. They get fed by different things. So where do you shop? Where are you shopping? 
Are you going shopping at the places that feed your flesh? Are you spending your Friday nights out in the world that feeds your flesh? Or are you going to the stores that will give you what you need to nourish your soul? I want to invite the worship team if they could come up and, and help me with some music while I finish. <laughs> yeah, amen. In the book of Romans, Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. How many times are we faced with this? Where we're faced with our red bowl of stew, with our Doritos, we're faced with the things of the world, and we know what the right decision is, but our flesh is weak. That's when we can take a lesson from Rebecca and inquire of the Lord. God, my flesh is weak. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Speak to me, Lord, because I need you. I'm about to make a decision that could change my eternity, that could change my destiny. God, help me because I might not see the spiritual ramifications of this decision, but God, I need you. I need you to show me. So number two, the spiritual things, right? Just because you can't see the spiritual value of something doesn't mean it's not there. Ask God, inquire of him to speak to you and to show you, to open your spiritual eyes, to open your heart because there's a lot riding on this next decision. There's a lot riding on your choice. You know, he tells us you can't believe everything that you see. Don't go living your life based on your feelings. And being in Christ doesn't mean that your sinful nature is done. We still have our sinful nature. We still have to fight with our sinful nature. We can be in Christ and still have to fight every day for this, every day for our soul, every day for our spirit. So I want to encourage you, don't give up on your eternity. Don't give up on your spiritual breakthrough. Don't compromise your holiness for the sake of a feeling. But we're in the I want it now society, right? <laughs> Pastor Marco made the joke. You know, he puts his food in the microwave and he can't even let the last three seconds go. He's opening the door. I know, I can relate to this. It's funny. We're so impatient, we can't even wait the last three seconds for our food to cook. We want it, and we want it now, and we satisfy our flesh. But God tells us to stand firm in our faith.
It's his will. It's his ways above our own. And it requires to understand our ways are different. His ways are higher. And it requires submission. Submitting our lives and our flesh. But I pray that as Christians, we go to God and we ask him, why is this happening to me? Because he will open the eyes of our hearts and he will show you who he created you to be. He will show you how he sees you. You know, there's a story I heard and uh, I don't want to do anybody an injustice, but I, I think I heard this was a D.L. Moody story. He was walking down the sidewalk with one of his colleagues and there was a homeless man on, on the ground uh, begging for change and they kind of walked around him and, and I don't know who made a comment, but somebody made a comment like, look at this guy. And the, the man overheard it and he says, yeah, but you should have seen who I was supposed to be. I want to tell you, God knows who you're supposed to be. He doesn't see you where you are. He sees you as who he created you to be. Do you know who you're supposed to be? Do you know? Do you know how God sees you? Is that me? Is that you? Can you feel that? The last bullet. We must learn to master our flesh. It takes practice. The lust and the desires of the world should not outweigh our desire to please God. And if you don't master your flesh, your flesh will master you. I've got another scripture from 1 Corinthians. We're almost done. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. Paul understood that he had to beat his flesh. He had to master his flesh. In Matthew, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We need to start binding some things. We need to start speaking to some things and say, I'm not carrying you with me into this next year. I'm not carrying you with me into this next day. We need to start binding and loosing some things because what we do here has a spiritual impact. So how do we master our flesh? We have to feed ourselves with the Word of God. We have to feed our spirit so that it becomes bigger than our flesh. Having the fruit of the Spirit, ask God for these things. You have to hate sin the way God hates sin. And you can't be afraid to have sin pointed out because we all need it. And we need to have it removed. We have to hate sin the way God hates sin. We want to be closer to him. We want to have communion with him. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. How precious is your soul that God and the devil are fighting for your soul? It's not a nothing. It's not a nobody. It's not something to dismiss. Every single soul is precious. And we're here today.
to be fed, to build up our spirit, to fight for souls, to fight for the lost. We're not here for our feelings. We're not here to feel good. A lot of people come to church to get that, that feel good, to carry you through the week. But we're here to draw closer to God. We're here to be fed. We're here to be built up. We're here to be encouraged. We're here to be edified. We're here to give him glory. You know, we're here to proclaim the name of Jesus as the one who paid the price for our sins so that we can have this blessing. We can have this eternity with him and we don't have to pay the price anymore. That's what mercy is. Mercy isn't saying you're not guilty. Mercy is saying, yeah, you're guilty, but you don't have to pay the price for what you did. And we have his grace and his mercy today. But today you need to decide with that bowl of soup that's sitting right in front of you, which side of the fence you're on. Because a time is coming when the shepherd is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Jesus used this parable. And the sheep are the ones that are going to know the shepherd's name. That he can say, sheep, go this way. And they will. They know him. The sheep will follow the shepherd. And the goats will be left over here without the shepherd. This day is coming. The sheep will know the shepherd's voice and he will call them to himself. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with family and friends. It helps so much. For more content with Legacy and to connect with us, go to LegacyChurchRI.com. The best is yet to come.